This is an AI Group podcast. Welcome to this AI Group podcast. My guest today is Stacey Ashley, and Stacey is an award-winning executive and leadership coach and author of Amazon best-selling book, The New Leader. Stacey, welcome. Thanks so much, Grant. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, I'm excited too uh, because I really enjoyed reading your book, The New Leader. You have a lot of practical tips and insights on leadership and helping people to grow and be their best. So I'd like to start with how you got here. Can you tell me a bit about your background and why you're so passionate about leadership? Um, yeah, sure, of course. So I uh, I was really great at maths at school and so everyone said, be an accountant. So I became an accountant and um, it didn't take me very long to realise that actually Accounting was probably not going to be long-term for me, but as my career progressed, I got into bigger and bigger leadership roles, um, worked in some really interesting industries, particularly when telco was going through lots of change um, in, the, in the 90s. And, um, and I, I guess what I discovered was I really loved working with people and I really loved to see them develop and grow and, and go on to do things that perhaps they'd never even considered as possibilities for themselves. And so ultimately, that's what really led me to focusing on how I could do more of that. And so actually moving out of corporate as an individual leader and and working with an individual team or a group of teams and into setting up a business where, you know, or a company where I can actually work with, you know, lots of organizations, lots of leaders, you know, and make a difference on a a bigger scale and really help people to achieve and, and grow and develop. Excellent. And why did you write this book? How did that come about? Yeah. Um, again, you know, lots of experiences, I guess, of my own and, and my own observations. And, and in fact, the book has been percolating for probably, I don't know, I think I said six years at the beginning of the book, but probably longer. And um, what I noticed was that um, I was working with lots of amazing people and they were doing really great things, but it was harder than it needed to be. And so I really felt like there, there's not enough done to support people as they, as they kind of graduate through the levels of, of leadership. So whether they started as a technical expert or a subject matter expert and then they become a, a first-time leader and then they progress into middle management and executive management. And, and at each of those stages, we need to have more tools in our kit than we've ever needed before. And I just don't think that organisations, and I'm talking generally, I really just don't think that they that there's enough done to make it as easy as it could be. So it's harder than it needs to be. And so hence the book because it's just got some practical ideas that I think most leaders could benefit from. Um, Even if they just pick one thing out of the book, it's going to give them an edge over where they are now. Yeah, and and there's definitely lots of practical tips in the book. And you talk about some of the key lessons that leaders, whether they are just starting out as a new leader or they're maybe a seasoned professional with years of leadership experience, some of the things that they should keep in mind um, to be highly effective. Can you can you talk about some of those things? Absolutely. So, I I when I wrote the book, I, I focused on a, a few things. Some of them are, are the highly practical ways of actually running the business of being a leader. Then there's some focus on um, how you work with the people around you, and and in fact the fact the fact that you have more people around you. Um, and then also positioning yourself for the future because it's very easy to get caught up in the business of leading um, and forgetting about yourself. And so a couple of the key things that I think for me are 
as a leader, you need to be more organized than you've ever been before. When you're a sole contributor or a member of a team, you're worrying about, you know, your own set of responsibilities and deliverables. But as a leader, you've got this huge portfolio, you've got multiple people and new stakeholders, and probably your boss is a bit demand more demanding than they used to be. And so if you're not organized, if you don't have clarity about where to focus, when to focus, um, and to get things right the first time, then it's you're just not going to deliver as well as you could if if you get organized, clear the clutter, um, and make sure that you know what to be doing and when to be doing it. And that's becoming a lot more difficult um, with all the distractions that we have these days, all the electronic distractions and everything that uh, we need to get done in a day. So I guess it's it's becoming more and more difficult. I like your comment about um, sweating the small stuff. Mm. We've all seen the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, but you say the opposite. You say, well, actually do do sweat the small stuff. Yeah, I, I think what I mean by that is create the habits on the little things because they will serve you well over time. So you don't have to think, oh, what do I need to do about this? It just happens because you've actually put the time into getting the little stuff right first. It's like it's like that whole, um, is it, um, you, you don't count the dollars, you count the cents. Sure. Yeah, because it all adds up over time. Definitely. And, and what about prioritising yourself? Mm. What's that all about? Yeah, so prioritising yourself, I think, again, um, as we make transitions, whether it's to being a new leader or maybe to becoming an executive leader for the first time, we we want to do well. We want to perform. We want to, you know, deliver on the trust that's been put in us as as a leader in, you know, each of those stages. And I think it's very, and I've seen it happen so many times, it's very easy to forget about yourself. And so you might work really long hours or um, you might, you know, let go of things like your, you know, your exercise or seeing your friends as often or whatever it may be. And so I think prioritizing yourself is just making sure that you hold a place for yourself and the other things that are important for you, um, in addition to obviously wanting to do a, a great job. And and I guess, you know, being the best version of yourself means that you're also going to be a, a better leader in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of put your own oxygen mask on first. And so does that mean, um, you know, applying um, certain principles around making sure that you exercise, making sure that you have time out, um, going and doing meditation? What, what does it mean? I think it's going to be different for everyone. And, and so one of the things to actually um, do is to reflect on what is it that you need in order to, as you, as you just said, to, to be the best version of yourself. And so for some people, it is going to be more exercise. For others, it, it's going to be making sure that they keep connections in, you know, with the people that are important in their life. For others, it's going to be making sure that it's enough sleep or the right kind of food or having a holiday frequently enough, all of those different things. So I think the important thing is we actually need to just make sure that we do reflect on it and check in every now and then because it will it will ebb and flow, you know, as the different demands of the different parts of our life. But it's just about making sure that at the moment is this working for me and supporting me so I can be, you know, my best in all aspects of my life, not just work. And if it, it's not quite right, what do I need to do? What Where does the adjustment need to take place? So it's that constant improvement and self-development yeah. to make you a better leader and, and make you more effective. Absolutely. Self-reflection, self-awareness is the first step to creating the change because you've got to be honest with yourself about what's going on before you've got a platform for change. Definitely. 
Talking to your people. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about talking to your people. Talking to your people. Uh, this is one of my, you know, the the things that really frustrates me. I will speak to people and it and it could be in any type of organization at any level and um and they'll say, Oh, you haven't seen my boss for weeks or months or I haven't had my one-on-one. And um and it's it's not great. You know, how do you communicate if you're not sharing expectations and and that sort of thing. Or or classic was um someone said to me, yeah, look, my boss doesn't understand my priorities. I'm like there's just something horribly wrong <laughs> about that whole situation. And so I think as a leader, one of the things that you need to establish really early on with with the people that you know report directly to you in particular, and also with your own boss, is you know. How, how do we actually set this up to work for us? How often do we need to meet? How do we meet face-to-face, over the phone, whatever it is? You know, what's the focus of that conversation? Um, because if we don't have it, then our chances of being on the same page, of understanding each other's priorities, to, to be able to support each other is really limited. And, um, and I just think the other thing is that it sends a really bad message. If I have a one-on-one scheduled or you have a one-on-one scheduled with your manager and they say, oh, look, I'm really busy, can we put it off till next week? It just doesn't feel good. And when people don't feel good and they don't feel valued, they're not going to do their best work. Yeah, and busy doing what? Absolutely. Like, What's more important than the people that you have care of as a leader? Absolutely. And I, and I think just as important as making the time, it's also – vital that the the person's present or the the leader is present um is focused on listening really listening um to what the challenges are what the issues are um in order to be effective um and you know one of the things that I'm a fan of is is walking meetings mm. so you know getting out and exercising for half an hour uh with a team member and you get some really good insights and you're able to learn and be present. You're not distracted by electronic devices. You're not distracted by that email that's pinged into your in- inbox. Mm. Um, yeah, beautiful. So, you beautiful. Know, that, that whole moving thing as you're having a conversation is um, is so fantastic because it, it also adds the creative element, you know, moving your physiology, you know, taps into all of your resources. So, it's yeah, it's a great, great way to, to have conversations. And you talk about having the essential conversations. <laughs> what are the essential conversations? Oh, look, I think everyone knows them by different names, but um, the essential conversations for me are the ones that make your heart beat faster when you know that you have to do it. <laughs> and so they're the conversations that if we have them, we set ourselves up for success. And if we avoid them, then um, we probably not getting the outcomes that we want and neither are our people and everyone gets disappointed and the fact is that we actually didn't create the environment um, to be successful. And so what are some of those essential conversations? The expectations conversation, this is a big one. This is the conversation that you have with your boss and you say, what is it you need from me and here's what I need from you as my boss. And you have to have those conversations with, with your people. If you don't set the expectations in the first place, then you've got no basis to um, complain if things aren't delivered or if they're not done the way you want them to be done or anything like that. So the expectations conversation is one essential conversation. Feedback conversations. Feedback is a gift and, um, and I think we have to really practice doing it well, of course, 
but just give that gift frequently every day. You know, people shouldn't get surprised when um, they hear a piece of information that had they known it six months ago would have made a really big difference. You know, you go, you, if I use the sporting analogy, the coach doesn't wait till the game is over to let you know that something's not quite working. So if we give the gift of feedback all the time, then we can adjust and tweak and make different um, choices. And so that's an essential conversation. And then um, other co- essential conversations are things like, what, would, what do you want to do next in your career? You know, it's not just about now. We have to be thinking about the future, supporting our people in, you know, in terms of how they want to develop and grow and creating those opportunities for them. You know, and then there's many more, but I but I think that's a great starting point. Yeah, and I, if I think about my own career and and some of the great bosses that I've been lucky to have over the years, they have definitely um, delivered me news from time to time, which I haven't necessarily wanted to hear at the time. But I look back um, um, and and can reflect and see that they were right mm. right on the mark, and it's helped me. Um, immensely in my career and I also think um, you know some of those open and honest heart-raising conversations that you have with your staff with your team um, I I, I think in many cases the news that you're delivering or the coaching that you're delivering is not necessarily a big surprise to them Hmm. I think in many cases they know it already and it'll be a relief to them that you're helping them to address an issue or challenge that they're having yeah, I totally agree. People know when they've made a mistake, people know it's not a surprise. So let's actually talk about it and let's turn it into something constructive that we can now, now it's out in the open, now we can do something with it, you know, as opposed to hoping it will go away or <laughs> or things will magically get better. No, let's let's go, okay, so now what are our options? How do we move forward? What What can we do differently? There's so many things that we can do with that, but we have to talk about it. You talked about um, positioning a team for the future and saying to them, where do they want to go next and how Mm. do I help you to get there? But you also talked about as a leader the importance of positioning yourself for the future. Mm. Tell me about that. Well, this is a personal experience actually. So in a part of my career I worked for an organisation. They were a global organisation but they just started in Australia and, and I was part of the startup team. And I was just so amazingly wonderful at my job. They were very happy for me to stay in that job. And so years later, yes, my department had grown, my team had grown, the portfolio had grown, but effectively I was in the same job. And um, and it took me a really long time to realise, you know what, no one else is going to get me out of this job except for me. And uh, and now now that I'm I'm coaching a lot of people and I'm working with leadership teams and that sort of thing, I, I see that pattern. When people become really good um, and they're a safe pair of hands, they're actually left in that role rather than being grown and developed and groomed and and create you know having opportunities set before them. And so, I think yes, as leaders, we have a responsibility to look after others in terms of making sure that those opportunities are presented. But no one is going to look after us as well as we do. And so we have to actually step up and look at how do we want to craft our own career and make sure that our boss is aware of what we want and other champions and and um, people in our network as well because they just might know the perfect thing that we're looking for. And often it comes as a surprise when someone comes to you and says, I'm leaving because I'm, I've got another opportunity and this is exactly the right opportunity for me. And you say, what? Yeah. You, you know, you can't go. You're too good. Mm. 
Um, so we haven't listened to what they really wanted and really the, where they wanted to go next. Yeah, and, and on top of that, not only didn't we listen, but we didn't ask the question in the first place. Okay. Now you talked about uh, sports coach, mm. and I'm really interested in the parallels between leadership and business and sport. I see there's a lot of similarities mm -hmm. and there's a lot of learnings that we can apply from both. Um, in your book, you've got a fantastic quote from basketball coach John Wooden who said, a good coach can change a game, a great coach can change a life. So why is coaching so important for a leader? I think... Like anything, if you if you want to be your best and to grow and to develop, and leaders are no different, um, it's actually quite hard to do that in isolation. And so, a coach uh, creates the opportunity and the space for you to um, reflect, to change your awareness, to gather you know, observations and feedback and to be able to put that all into the mix of, you know, how do you want to be and who do you want to be? But the other thing for me is that with leadership and people who have roles as leaders, often early in our career, what we're really focused in on is what we're doing. You know, we've got this task or this project to deliver. And then as our career progresses, we get into how. So how, how do we do that as a leader? How do we manage our day? How do we navigate that? And then ultimately, um, and these are probably the leaders that we uh, become really aware of or that, that leave a, a lasting mark, is those leaders who are actually asking themselves the question or with the help of their coach asking the question, who do I want to be as a leader? Who, who am I that I can then make this, you know, in, incredible um, organisation and take it to the next level or this, um, this change in the world that I want to leave behind, this legacy? And that's, that's really about the who. And I think coaching helps us to actually navigate from that kind of early stage of what to the how to the who. Who do I need to be as a leader? Who, who do I aspire to be? you know, in order to be able to deliver and do and make the change that's important to me. If I think about a, a sports coach who I really admire, um, it's often been said that he he knows how to get into the players' heads. He understands each of the players really well, mm. he understands their motivations, and he understands how to say the right thing at the right time. Um, is this something that people are born with? Is this something that they learn uh, you know, what's going to make someone have that ability to do that uh, above above us mere mortals? <laughs> That's a good question. I, look, I think, you know, definitely there are some people that have that kind of innate ability to do that, but equally I think learning plays a really big part and, and I think for people who have developed or, or have that, capacity and, and ability to work on such an, what I would call an intimate level, like knowing someone so well that they know the question to ask, they can get, you know, they understand their thinking. Um, the first thing is I think they've actually done a huge amount of work on themselves. You know, they're very self-aware. They've, they've developed obviously skills and capacity and competence and they've practised but I think it's the work they've done on themselves that then allows them to really um, be able to connect and understand others. So these things like empathy 
come into play. Mm. And again, it comes back to you mentioned earlier about prioritizing yourself, developing yourself, yeah. being open to learning. Yes. And so through those learnings um, and, a, and a, a greater capacity for knowing oneself makes you a better leader of, of others. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, when I talk about leadership, I talk about leadership in, in three dimensions. I, I guess I make the distinction, you know, the, the book, The New Leader, is really about um, some practical stuff to give you great foundations so that then you can move into the essence of leadership. When I talk about the essence of leadership, there are three key dimensions for me. And the first one of those is first lead yourself. So that is about self-awareness. That is about understanding self. It's about growing self and it's about stepping up. We talk, we, you know, we, we talk a lot these days about the younger generations coming into the workforce, the millennials, and do they have different expectations of their employers or their leaders? Do you know, those younger people have different expectations of a leader today? You know, do they see high-profile, inspirational leaders on the world platform and, and expect their own leaders to behave or lead in the same way? It's a it's an interesting question because I don't know that there's a really clear cut um, response to that. I mean, within any generation, there's going to be massive diversity. But I think if we if we if I can generalise a little bit just to begin with, so with Gen Gen sorry with the baby boomer um, generation, you know, the idea there was that people had a job. It was about having an income to support the family and what they expected was, you know, that their job was pretty clearly defined and that they turned up and they did it and they went home and, you know, they were told what to do. That's pretty much it. And they didn't have necessarily big expectations of their leaders except that there was that clarity. When we move into Gen X and that's where we started to see, I guess, the focus on career, so there's a lot more ambition, um, financial rewards, um, privileges, if you like, for hard work. You know, if you did more, you earned more. If you um, operated in the right way, then, you know, you would get promoted and so on. Um, And so ambition came in and so the expectation there was really that if you – if you did work hard and you and you did perform, that your leader would respond by acknowledging that and giving you the appropriate reward, whatever that was. Um, then when we move into uh, Gen Y, what we started to see is that um, the concept of of not a job, not a career, but having a calling. So you know, there's a lot of conversation around purpose and why and all that kind of stuff. Fulfillment. So, yeah, fulfillment. You know, why am I here and you know, what, what's the legacy I'm going to leave? And so what we started to see and still do see, and of course this happens in all the generations, but it really became, I guess, highly profiled in Gen Y, is that um, when work comes into play and then therefore leadership um, and the role of leadership it was about understanding what makes this important, what, what's important about this piece of work or what's important about what this organisation does. How does it contribute and therefore does that, do I connect with that contribution with this difference? And so the role of leadership was not to tell so much but to have a conversation. And so what we're actually seeing is um, we've seen people move more quickly perhaps between roles and organisations because they don't have that connection but the other thing is that we don't necessarily see the 
you know, financial rewards being the most important thing, but the development, the coaching, the mentoring. And so that's where leadership um, has needed to change to be able to support the, the needs of Gen Y from leadership. You know, I, I would rather be coached and developed than go to a job that's not quite right but pays more. So this is about adaptability yeah. and a leader needing to adapt to different generations, mm. um, different types of people, diversity, inclusion, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so mentor, I've mm. picked up on, mm. on that word. Mm. Uh, you talk a lot of, in the book about the importance of having a good mentor. Um, why is this and, and what, uh, what does a good mentor look like? Mm. Um, I think mentoring is incredibly valuable in lots of ways. Um, again, you know, it's very hard to succeed on your own in an isolated state. So having the benefit of someone who is wiser in some way, you know, maybe they have different experiences or um, they are just further progressed in their career or they bring a knowledge set that you don't currently have. So, so you can tap into that. So mentors can be sounding boards. They can challenge you. They can encourage you. Um, they can help you to hold the mirror up. There's lots of things that, um, you know, in terms of benefits that you can gain from having a mentor um, and even just the feeling of not being alone, which sometimes at different levels of a leadership career, you know, is, is happens a lot um, is you feel alone. So that's, um, you know, for me, mentoring is kind of a no-brainer. Everyone should have one, just like everyone should have a coach. Um, how do, I, how do I get the right one? I think um, a colleague of mine, Jane Anderson, um, said this to me years ago and it's just really stuck with me, which is you need the right mentor for right now. And what does that mean? It means so what is it you're actually trying to do over this next six months, 12 months, two years? What, what is it that you're trying to achieve and who's the mentor that can help you with that? You know, Maybe there's someone who has had a career trajectory that you're, you're looking, well, that's quite similar to what I want to do. So maybe that's the right mentor for you. Um, maybe you're you're operating in an organisation. I'll use an example of mine. Operating in an organisation where you know I was the most senior female in the organisation for the first five years that I was in this particular organisation. So I was navigating a world of much older, you know, male colleagues. So who was the right mentor for me? Someone who else who had had to do that exact same thing. Yes, in a different organisation, but they had experiences and lessons that I could ask questions about, you know, when you find yourself in this situation, how do you respond to that? So the right mentor for right now, I think, is what you need. A friend of mine has a great saying, um, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Mm, mm, yeah, beautiful. Just a nice one. And I think um, if I think about some people that have mentored me over the years, they were doing that before I even knew the term. Yes. And I wonder if some mentors who are really good at what they do even realise that they're mentoring. It's something that comes naturally to them. Mm. They may be a nurturing personality or a strong leader inherently. Yeah. And they may not even realise that they're mentoring or being an influence, positive influence on someone else. Look, I think that happens a lot. I, I think um, just, you know, good and great leaders who are just being good and great leaders and role modelling that, that's a form of mentoring. You know, just showing people what it looks like to to be a good leader. Leading know? by example. Leading by example, yeah. And other things like authenticity come into play as well and trust. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, 
that trust is the thing that will, you know, and that connection is what gives you as a leader the the um, opportunity to influence. If people tr- don't trust you, then you don't get to influence. So, yes, being, you know, and, and authentic comes up a lot. Um, maybe it is overused. I don't, I don't think it is overused because I think there's, you know, being genuine and being yourself and um, and showing that does create connection and and thus trust. So I think it's a it's a it's essential. The forward of your book, Stacey, <laughs> is is interesting. It's written by your dad, Terry Turner, and uh, he himself had an interesting career in the military. Mm. Uh, I liked how he said, um, "You have to get the right people on the bus." the wrong people off it and get the right people in the right seats. Mm. Um, I, I don't think there could be any more powerful accolade than uh, your own dad writing the forward of your, of your book. Um, how do you think he's influenced you and, and, and where you are today? Oh, look, look massively. I, it's interesting. He was a, actually, he was a school teacher before he joined um, the army and, and he decided that, you know, he wanted to create more opportunity for his family. That's one of the reasons he joined the army. So he joined the education corps, um, and he was an officer. Um, but he was an amazing leader, and um, and so I think, from my perspective, I was exposed to that for my whole life, and I was very very lucky because actually in my career, I worked for a lot of really great people, and they were really nice people, but they weren't necessarily spectacular leaders. And, but I had that benefit of knowing what good leadership looked like um, from my dad. And I and there are words that he has said to me throughout my life that still come out of my mouth now when I'm talking to other people. So I would say huge influence. Um, I think, though, the other powerful thing, and all parents try to do this for their kids, absolutely, I know I do and, and I'm sure you do as well, is to support your children, and this is what happened to me, and and let them know that if they wanted to do it and they put the effort in, that they could do it. And I think that that was um, something that, you know, I probably didn't realise at the time. I just kind of took for granted, but um, but it's but it's absolutely true. You know, if if you want to, you know, go to university, then if you put the work in. And you and you get the the grades, then you can go to university, and we will support you however however we can um, to enable that. Um, and I think that that's also leadership. Absolutely. As a parent yourself, I, I often think um, parenting is the <laughs> the greatest the greatest university of all. Yeah. Um, as a parent yourself. Um, do you find yourself learning things that you then apply in a business sense uh, in terms of leadership or, or you know, vice versa? Do you, do you find there are things in, um, that you've picked up in the corporate world that you would apply as a parent? Look, I think you, you do. You're, you're, you're made up of all of your experiences. Um, the, the, the biggest thing I think for me in terms of parenting and the learning that brings is the requirement to really reflect on what I'm doing and how I'm showing up. 
And that's probably been my biggest learning. So if I have a conversation with one of my children uh, and this has been happening for years and I get a response which is unexpected or something like that, how am I contributing to that situation? So um, it's a huge learning opportunity. But the other thing is that I love um, about being around children is that they haven't been coloured by life's experiences as much as we have. And so often their responses and reactions are, you know, just much more natural. And and so having the opportunity to observe that and really consider that kind of a response as opposed to one that has been a lessened response or a learned response, I think also gives us real insight into the opportunities that we miss out on. Yeah, trying to apply adult rationale uh, <laughs> to a teenager's brain is uh, is not always effective, is it? No, it's not. But uh, it's really interesting because um, obviously my kids have been exposed to coaching for a really long time, and what I what I love is that um, is that because of that we're actually able to coach through some of those trickier teenage conversations. But the other thing is that they coach me as well. <laughs> well, absolutely. So. You know, this seek first to understand, I think, is very powerful Yeah. in parenting and in leadership, really trying to understand the situation without responding, you know, and also not, I like this notion of not bringing in the bias. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're thinking about ourselves, we have all these years of experience and, you know, things beating us down Mm. Um, um, and trying not to apply that, you know, both in a parenting sense and, and in leading others, trying not to bring that that bias, which may be unconscious bias, into the situation. Most definitely. Um, and, and I think um, when, I, when I teach people um, how to coach and how to be a leader as a coach, one of the biggest, most challenging parts of that is that when we're having conversations with people, we have to take our own filters and judgments out. So, yes, we're part of the conversation, but we're not going, oh, why would you think like that? Or what a silly thing to do. Or, yeah, that happened to me last week as well. You just have to really just let the conversation flow around you and, uh, and not, and not um, accentuate any one part of it unless the other person wants to do that. Thinking about mistakes that leaders make, are there some of the, what are some of the more common mistakes that you see them making or things that they could do better? Without naming examples, sure, of course, of course. <laughs> let me let me let me think on that. Um, I think one of the biggest opportunities in uh, workplaces, just about everywhere, is the opportunity to um, do better listening. Really, just do better listening, um, and so as leaders, that's that's not just the listening part, but asking better questions and then actually listen. Um, so I, I think if you did nothing else, that would make a massive difference um, in teams and meetings and conversations. That would be incredibly powerful. Um, and then I think the other one, and this is probably for uh, both people who are relatively early in their leadership career, um, but also for those that perhaps have an acknowledged area of expertise that they've carried through their career is that as as the leader, often we actually have to let go of being the expert. And that can be really hard to do 
um, if that's what our career has been built on or that's what our performance has been built on because when we have a team of people, it's not our right to be the expert anymore. That's what their jobs are. Our job is to lead them. Yeah, I think it's easier to have this, um, put this expectation on yourself that you should be the, you know, the wisest person in the room and you should have all the answers, whereas in fact it's, it's often about listening, um, listening to your people and out of those um, conversations will, will come the answer. Um, mm. But I also think it's often the unspoken words are as powerful as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's having that intuition as a leader to understand people as well. Absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, all leaders really need to develop their skills in understanding others and in, you know, um, being able to, as you as you say, get insight into what's actually going because there's the words, but that's only one part of the conversation. There's the body language and there's the, the things that are not being said and then there's all the background and the context. Um, and then, of course, there's just you know, who that person is. They're all factors in that communication process. And so as leaders, if we can develop our skills to understand more about the human condition, then I think that just helps us. So this is compassion and this is becoming, I think, more and more important in how leaders lead effectively. Mm -hmm. Do you see at the the higher level, I guess the CEO or the C-suite level, do do you see... Uh, a trend of them being more compassionate or is it the opposite? Well, I can only um, speak about, you know, probably what is a a relatively small number in the greater scheme of things. But I think with, as with any part of or any population or group, you know, there's massive diversity. And so there are going to be um, and there are leaders who are incredibly compassionate and who do lead from the heart and so they, they want the greater good. You know, that's what drives them. And, yes, we have to use our head to come up with intelligent solutions and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then there will be people at the other end of the spectrum that it, that it, they're very head-driven or led and, um, and it's just about what's the problem we're solving and it's, it doesn't have that humanity in, in the process. Um, I think it's a combination. Um, I think over time, though, we'll see more and more demand for leaders who um, who do have, you know, that compassion, um, they, you know, again, if we get back to trust and connection, if I don't believe you um, do empathy or are compassionate, how much am I going to trust you with my career, my performance, my commitment, my diligence, my whatever, you know, there are obligations that we have as leaders to, I believe, be the best versions of ourselves, and that means developing ourselves ongoing. And that means if we don't have those some of those capacities now, then we need to focus on them, um, because in order for us to be successful as leaders, we're only as successful as the people around us. And and so if we can't connect with them, if they don't trust us, if we don't build relationships with them, then they are not going to help us be successful as leaders. This has been an excellent conversation today, Stacey. I've really enjoyed it. I think we've covered a lot of stuff, a lot of really good stuff. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Is there any key takeouts from today's discussion that you would lead us with to uh, to inspire and educate all those leaders or uh, 
people who would like to be leaders? Well, I think I think that's a that actually is really key. Leadership is not about a position or a title. Anyone can be a leader at any point in their career, and um, and and part of that is is just you know having that self awareness and and figuring out how can I do my best stuff and be my best self each and every day. So you know if if you want to influence, if you want to connect, if you want to create great outcomes, if you want to have a happy and fulfilled life, then learn and grow. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, in terms of mentoring and, and showing compassion and, and helping those around you, I think you're absolutely right. You don't necessarily need to be chain of command mm. um, and have people directly reporting to you um, to be a strong leader. You can, you can influence that uh, as a colleague, as a partner, um, in so many different ways. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Just do it. I think. <laughs> Just do it. Great advice. Thank you, Stacy. Great discussion. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. <laughs>